0: What are your thoughts about the biological clock? The timer on our fertility use-by date. Is this just something women have to worry about or does sperm have a use-by date
1: too? This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston.
0: Women have become used to being told that when it comes to fertility, the clock is ticking always ticking but for men the message has never seemed to be quite as obvious but there are impacts for any potential parent who's leaving the baby making thing until after 40. So what is it you need to know about men and the biological clock? How does sperm change because of age and what does the science of IVF offer to cure any potential problems? With us this time on Baby Talk is IVF scientist and scientific director of Genea, Dr. Stephen MacArthur. We spoke to him last year about the masculine side of reproduction and some interesting facts about sperm. You might remember I asked him what he thought was one of the more interesting things he's discovered about sperm.
1: The most fascinating thing about sperm, I think, is the size of a sperm. So to put it in perspective, if you took a strand of your hair and cut it up into a 100 pieces, the length of a sperm would only be equal to about seven of those pieces, It's tiny, tiny. yeah. It's it's unbelievably small. And to think that it carries then half of all of the genetic material that will make us as an individual.
0: Wow. Part of your job working in the field of IVF is, and the whole meaning of IVF is putting together sperm and human eggs. I mean, how big is the egg in comparison to the sperm?
1: So the, the egg is probably somewhere between 10 and 15 times bigger in terms of the width of the, of the egg. So your hair, to give you an idea, a strand of your hair is about one hundred one millionth of a metre in diameter. Mm. So divide a metre into a million bits is pretty small. So an egg is about one hundred microns or 101 millionths of a metre. So it's significantly larger than a sperm, but then the egg contains, if you like, all of the the requirements for the embryo to develop really in the first sort of 8 to 10 days before it implants onto the lining of the uterus.
0: So let's get down to male fertility. It's believed at least 30% of infertility problems comes down to male infertility, so I asked Dr MacArthur if men take the issue of fertility and infertility a little differently to women.
1: I think in, in different, yes, yes, let me just get straight to the point, I think <laughs> yes is the answer to that. I think it does vary. I've, I've worked throughout my career in, in, in quite a number of IVF clinics in Australia and around the world. Men, men do take a different perspective and that changes from it couldn't be me. To, it's totally my fault. You know, there's a a whole spectrum of how infertility is perceived by the male. The thing about IVF, in particular, if you like, in the early years that that I worked in in the field, it was very much perceived that fertility was a a female-only issue. It may be understandable, that perspective, when you think that it's women who who carry the children through to birth, but really that sort of way of thinking doesn't account for the biology of how children are both conceived and then carry on through to live birth. I think males are are better now at acknowledging that they have a significant both contribution and role to play yeah. in, um, in pregnancy. But uh, yeah, it's good that it's not just perceived now in, in the general public as a female-only issue.
0: Yeah. You know? If the sperm structure isn't as athletic as it should be, you can still deliver the DNA component into the egg to fertilise it and end up with an embryo.
1: Oh, Absolutely. ICSI really first came into the IVF laboratory setting back in really 1994, 95 is where it it really sort of took off. That being said, you still had to be able to find a sperm in the semen sample that were produced by the males. So you could take examples of males having either very low sperm numbers in their ejaculate or very slow swimming sperm. And exactly as you said, using a very fine needle to put the sperm in. That's actually even advanced further now where in fact males can present in an IVF clinic today with no sperm in their semen sample. And then you can actually take a testicular biopsy and then we can actually find sperm from that testicular biopsy. Now that's not 100% successful and in some cases some men unfortunately will have absolutely no sperm including in their testicles but oh. yeah it's an amazing it's an amazing advancement that we can help patients in that scenario yeah. overcome that infertility.
0: Wow that's that's pretty impressive. Apparently ICSI it was a bit of an accident that it was discovered.
1: Back in the early '90s, we used to use a, a technique called Suzy, SUSI, but Susie was—let me remember—it was subzonal injection. So the zona is, in effect, the little shell that surrounds the the egg. So they used to put a number of sperm between the little shell that surrounds the egg and the egg proper. And one night in in Belgium, the scientist accidentally. I guess it could have been the Netherlands. And yeah, the scientist accidentally stuck the needle. So you had to be very fine and put the needle just below the shell, but not into the egg. And on this one occasion, the scientist stuck the needle with the sperm in it the whole way into the egg and came back the next morning. And lo and behold, the egg had fertilised. And in effect, that's how it was invented, which is. Wow. It's is not unusual, you know, in science, you know. People are looking for an answer in one place and try something slightly different and there you go. Mm.
0: Yeah. For all those guys that are hitting 40 and don't feel the need to quite settle down yet, thinking they've got plenty of time left, whereas we women have all received the clock's ticking lecture. Um, <laughs> what's your scientific advice to them?
1: Well, yeah, the, I mean, it's a good point. There is an element to male psychology, I think, where we men think they're somewhat invincible and that's not going to happen to me. But the reality is, and I can, I can speak to this as a 50-year-old, we get older. And in, in that respect, all of our biology gets older. So in a fertility sense, how we produce our sperm changes. And that includes things like the number of sperm we produce, the quality of that sperm. And and when I mention quality, I'm talking about the motility or the ability of the sperm to swim forward in a meaningful manner and the DNA of the sperm. And the DNA is really important because if you have a breaking down of the DNA in the sperm, what that creates is once you fertilize an egg with a poorer quality DNA sperm, the overall DNA of the embryo is reduced and therefore the ability of that embryo to go forward and make a pregnancy is reduced. The problem is that, and it's a big problem with fertility and IVF in general, where by the very nature of of how we present things, we talk talk about percentages. And we talk about if you're this age, you have this percentage chance of getting a a live, healthy birth and we talk about both men and women in that respect the reality is we only have those numbers to be able to inform people in a general sense so the ability as we get older unquestionably the ability as women for women and men as we get older to reproduce normally reduces that's that's simply biology of aging and so For men who are getting to 40, if you like, and beyond, and have in mind that they want to have a family and they they want to have children, yeah, it's unquestionable that the advice is don't just delay it, because there are impacts as we get older.
0: After having 30 years of looking down a microscope and looking at sperm samples, are things going a bit more haywire with men's fertility?
1: Yeah. Look, I I think in in the Australian context, Penny, I, I don't think there's been sort of radical changes in male causes, or causes rather, of male infertility. That's not to say, though, that it's not changing slowly and an in an underlying manner that's not sort of yet revealed itself. So we looked at, as an example, in one, one study, we looked at 40-odd thousand sperm samples and we looked at motility and we looked at sperm concentration or sperm numbers and DNA damage in those samples. And for patients below 45, we didn't see a lot of variation. But for patients over 45, we saw some significant variation that would indicate that you wouldn't leave it until 45 to start your reproductive efforts. Because again, those numbers are averages. And so you you do get some, or there's a potential to mask some underlying changes in there. Because whilst we looked at 40,000 samples, and that's a lot, it may take 100,000 samples as an example to reveal changes in 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 various aspects at various ages so i think the answer is there's there's not any sort of dramatic scary change that we can say but unquestionably there does appear to be over time influences and whether they're environmental we need to work out or whether they're simply age related we need to work out and and it's it's an area of study that's ongoing
0: is there a new frontier for male infertility?
1: Oh, there, there, there absolutely will be. And, I mean, we, we know, as an example, when we talked earlier about testicular biopsy and the ability to get sperm from testicular biopsies, one area that we're looking at is the ability, in fact, to generate sperm from stem cells. That will be in, so patients who have zero zero sperm can we harvest stem cells existing stem cells from testicular tissue and and encourage them to differentiate and turn into sperm cells and be able to use those in the fertilization process so there there absolutely will be advances coming for male infertility
0: Wow! Now I had actually heard. I think they've used the experiment on married at first sight, the T-shirt test, where they, I think they had sort of twenty men and twenty women Mm. wearing the T-shirt and Mm. without washing, and the Mm. pheromones. The pheromones. Part of the experiment was whether you had, you know, so this falling in love in inverted commas had something to do that instant attraction had something to do whether your sense of smell could pick up whether you pairing with this person of the opposite sex was going to create a, a viable embryo that your blood types weren't going to clash or you weren't going to be allergic to their sperm. So those baseline biological issues, are they things that buy into the science?
1: Probably in this day and age of anti-deodorants and perfumes and yeah. whatnot, we we all lose that a little bit. Look, there there is underlying genetics and that study and talking about the attraction or otherwise based on immunological advantages being conferred it's in my view it's unquestionable that something like that is, is underpins how we exist that's evolution you know and if you look at the diversity across people globally it makes it makes a lot of sense so you the, the if you like the wider the gene pool and the more diverse the gene pool if you like the greater chance of survival for all of us so it's absolutely it's a sound conclusion i think to come to in in an ivf setting i think unquestionably there is some aspect of that I think I touched on earlier. There's forty percent or so of all couples or patients who present to us who, who, who we don't have a, a known cause for their for their infertility. So is there something in the production of embryos for certain couples that that don't allow pregnancy to go on? And I think it's certainly a wide area. It's a, it's a part of the wide area. Of unknown that still exists in in IVF. I mean we have patients who in an IVF clinic they produce really excellent embryos from everything that we look at we say that embryo is absolutely an, an embryo that we would expect to produce a healthy ongoing pregnancy and time after time when we put those embryos back no pregnancy is achieved and the reality is that we still don't know in some cases not all cases but in some cases we don't know the underlying reason for that is it associated with the study that you just mentioned it could well be it could well be that there's there's a reality in a lot of senses that there are some genetic contributions to infertility that we just don't know about yet
0: Does that make up the most difficult part of your job, the unknowns?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Penny. I think it's like we want to do the very best by the patients who who come and see us and we really want absolutely for them to achieve their goals. The reality is we want them to do that as fast as possible because, as we talked about earlier, it can be a difficult process for patients to go through. The fact that in some cases we can't give patients a and this is the scientist in us (laughs) this is the scientist in us where we want to be able to say we've looked at all aspects of your presentation if you like and this is what we know and this is what we can do to help you get to where you want to be it is really difficult in those cases where we can't help couples achieve that goal.
0: But on the other hand, do you have a wall of photographs? Have, have you got 30-year-olds now that are around thanks to you?
1: Well, I, I, there certainly would be 30-year-olds walking around who are, yeah, I was involved in helping make those embryos become those people, I suppose, is the best way. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it, it's in terms of, if you like, a laboratory science role or job, it's Absolutely wonderful and fulfilling to be able to help people achieve what is a I want to say is what is a quite a basic goal but it's really a basic drive for many people to have a, a family and to have children it's 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 yeah I can't tell you how wonderful it is I just love it and 30 odd years later it's 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 still as exciting today to go to work as it was 30 years ago
0: you would have a lot of people that would be surprised that they just can't have a free-range baby that they've they've got to use a team to help them
1: yeah, I like that term free-range yeah. baby that's right really, they're a lot yeah. cheaper I think yeah and I think the amazing thing about that is it is quite amazing the changes that's happened and I think one of the things that really strikes me is if you look at Australia in a in a global sense Thanks to Medicare, thanks to the health insurance setup that patients have access to in Australia, it's it's quite amazing that in a global sense, Australia in fact is one of the, the, the more affordable places to do it. So to be able to put together teams of experts and deliver and help people get to that goal yeah it's it's amazing for them and the improvements in pregnancy rates that we've seen over the years just makes it even even more amazing
0: Janaea scientific director Stephen Macarthur, an ivf clinical scientist who's worked in the industry for 30 years with some of the amazing developments in assisted reproduction here in australia you're listening to Baby Talk, where we just love talking about babies and everything to do with their development, from conception to sending them off to kindergarten. And last week on the podcast, we talked about the way sugar has snuck its way into almost every prepackaged food available to babies and toddlers, and how you can try to keep your child's diet as sugar-free as possible. There's this association then that be, that starts to happen with kids, that when they're in the car. That they have to have a snack, or when they're waiting for something, that they have to have a snack rather than just sort of learning to sit and perhaps be bored for a little while. And I guess it's on that same, in the same sort of category as sitting in the car and handing back a device, so that they, you know, there's this constant kind of form of entertainment. So it's about building this association over time that whenever you get in the car or whenever you're sitting and waiting, that there has to be food and there has to be eating and snacking. You can find that podcast on the ABC Listen app on iTunes and most of the places you listen to podcasts these days. If you are in this category of being a new parent, we have lots of podcasts about all the things about being a new parent. Why not subscribe to Baby Talk so you don't miss an episode? We cover all the topics related to pregnancy, childbirth, parenting and living with a brand new baby. Subscribing means you won't miss an episode. It comes straight to your inbox as soon as it's published. I'm Penny Johnston. I'll see you next time on Baby Talk.
1: ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast.